What is the best way to talk to a velociraptor? What? On the phone. Because, like, he won't get you. You know what I mean? Because, like, if you're far away. Hey there, I'm Jordan. And I'm Nick. We're just two regular guys who love talking about film. And now we'd like to talk to you. We decided to break down our discussions into three parts. Because everyone loves a gimmick. We discuss our expectations for a film before we watch it. That's take one. We give our immediate thoughts following the film. That's take two. And finally, we research the film at length to prepare for an informed and in-depth discussion. And that's take three. So if you love film even half as much as we do, join in on the conversation. This is take three, a movie podcast. Take one. Okay, I have a joke. Oh, God. Okay, what do you call a blind dinosaur? His name? Well, that's probably more politically correct. Never mind. I probably shouldn't say <laughs> What were you going to say? I don't want any blind dinosaurs writing us letters. Uh, do you think he saw us? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And... Um, you can expect in take three, all of my take three research on this movie is going to be dinosaur jokes. So I'm just going to look I, up a ton of dinosaur jokes and lay them <laughs> on y'all. And that is why I will not be uh, in this take three. <laughs> you can like pick apart the movie and explore whatever the hell you want to explore. But mine's just going to be tons of dinosaur jokes. I've already got so many ready to go. No, you know, actually that kind of sounds easier. So maybe take three will be like just 100% dinosaur jokes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Get ready, guys. <laughs> if you guys and gals and blind dinosaurs don't know this already, we're doing Jurassic Park, which I got to say, for pretty much the majority of my life, I did not like this movie. I think when I was young, I was scared of it. And then I watched it maybe as a teenager and was super bored. And then in literally maybe the last like six months, I watched it. And I was like, wow, you know what? I actually like this. I was actually super impressed with it. So this is a classic that I claim I haven't seen because I really don't believe that I've seen it. I've seen enough uh, like parodies and stuff of this movie to know the basic premise. But um, And my mom claims that we have seen it growing up. I don't know. But I don't remember a single thing about it. So this will be really fresh for me. So we're doing the um, the original, and I, I know they're the one that I've seen the most, and I re- remember the most is number three, the one with T. Leone and yeah. and yeah. the kid, and I think William H Macy was the dad, and I remember really loving that one. So, but that's it. Like that's the extent. I've not seen any of the new ones. If so. you go back as a as an adult, I, I definitely felt the same affinity for number three as you did. Uh, but if you go back as an adult and sort of look at it with like a fresh eye, you see that. Number one is a very well-made movie. It's a, it's definitely like a crowd pleaser, but it's just it's a very well-done movie. And all the other ones are sort of like trying to imitate that and failing. Like there's oh, no. never been one even close to being as good <laughs> as the first one. Just that magic of, of those characters all together, you know, and it's they've never had the same cast since. I love Bryce Dallas Howard. You know, I, I love Jeff Goldblum. Tia Leone and William H. Macy, like they've all done great things in different movies, but <laughs> they don't. Uh... That's a shame. I've tried the first couple minutes of the reboots and he got grumpy, had to stop it. Yeah. It was <laughs> but... like, I'm not into this. And I was like, OK, let's turn it off then. <laughs> it's so... not, it doesn't get better. It, it sort of gets worse. Yeah, so I think what I'll probably try to do is trudge if I have to through all these movies just so I have some kind of baseline. But we'll see. I mean, it should be fun. I, I like dinosaurs. I'm excited to talk about this for sure. Awesome. And just to see it again and finally get you to watch a Jurassic Park movie with me because I've been trying to do this for a while. <laughs> I'll have to uh, read up on my, my dinosaur jokes. I'll have a dinosaur joke off. <laughs> okay, that sounds kinky. Take two. You are straight up a joke stealer. Okay, so like I swear that I had no idea that that is where I had heard that joke from. I'm sorry for ruining that pivotal moment in <laughs> the movie, thus spoiling the entire film. Oh I my apologize. god, yeah. I was like, what's, what's the point of you even watching the rest of the movie when... But like, okay, so what did you wind up thinking about it? I did like it. Um, 
very actually pleasantly surprised. And I think the moment that I liked it was when the two kids were climbing the electric fence while at the same time Laura Dern was trying to turn the power back on. I just thought that was so clever. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is like this is really clever. This is really kind of riveting and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was fun. They do they do a really good job of creating suspense and having there be pulse pounding moments and it be scary, but then it also being like really sweet and family friendly and not too like gory or violent or anything like that. Oh my god. I mean, okay, there's definitely violence in it, but it's not like to a degree that I wouldn't take. I wouldn't let a kid see a movie like this if they can handle it. Up until tonight, I thought that this was like a family friendly movie. And then it starts, and I'm I changed my mind very very quickly. I was like, this is this this is terrifying. Yeah, this maybe is- maybe to I mean, because this movie came out what is it twenty six years ago? I think it's nineteen ninety three. I could be it was wrong. it was yeah okay yeah. So back then, I mean, this stuff had to look so real. Like I'm sure the special effects were just out of this world. You know, uh, not to mention the fact that a lot of the dinosaurs are real practical effects, and mm-hmm. I can tell you that. This movie has the best use of practical effects. I, I, yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised. They did a really good balance of, I mean, for the t- considering the time, the, yeah. the, the decade that this came out, and the the three the digital effects were really great, and the practical effects were, I think, even better. So yeah, for definitely sure, kudos to them. That was that was really cool. The newer movies have been criticized for a lack of practical effects, and that sort of just sort of renders them like you obviously know they're not real. They don't feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, also you're doing a lot more than sort of having their faces show up, you know, like in Jurassic world, they have giant dinosaurs chasing around. You can't make that a special or a practical effect. You have to right, right. use CGI and CGI has gotten to a point now where it still looks pretty damn good. Like it's impressive these new movies, but in this particular one, the thing that I always think about when I just think about like these practical effects is that triceratops that scene is just like breathtaking (laughs) how i mean uh, essentially it's just an animatronic that can breathe and it's just laying there and kind of having to barely emote but it just felt so real and the fact that he could lay on him and yeah yeah and so it, it definitely brought a lot of realism to the idea that they are surrounded by dinosaurs yeah and i i think I, it was interesting because I, with with the evolution of technology in movies today, it kind of seems strange to me that there's not more effort being put into making effects more practical nowadays. But uh, I think you you had even brought this up in the during the movie. You said um, like practical isn't really even practical anymore because yeah. it's so much cheaper just to do everything CGI now. Exactly, they're called practical, but uh, you know when when people go out of their way to make practical effects, it seems like it takes more time anyway if you have a a cgi budget there is definitely to a degree at least on set maybe you know obviously it's harder for the people doing the cgi but at least on set like what if the thing breaks down i mean steven spielberg himself experienced this in jaws jaws is a real i'm not a real shark but a an animatronic shark and it malfunctioned so that's why you don't see it as much an auto erotic shark is what you meant to say. <laughs> you know what? I never I'm, like. I'm learning. <laughs> I never like actually caught that joke until you <laughs> laughed at it. I thought that was really funny. Jeff Goldblum's character said that, didn't he? No, I think it was the lawyer. Oh, maybe. Can we talk about Jeff Goldblum? Because he was, I think, by far one of my favorite characters. Oh, at yeah. least in the beginning, he didn't really have a big role towards like the end, but. He's iconic, and he, he's in the second one, and so he's the best thing about the second one. Oh, I I, I wouldn't argue he's the best about the first one. But. Oh, yeah. I think he is probably, like, the most interesting character, and I'm not, I'm not like, upset that they continued with him. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know, he, he, like, towards the end sort of gets just relegated to... To lying down with his shirt. Yeah, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, posing for a magazine um, for the rest <laughs> of the film. I knew he got hurt, but like, I'm not sure why your shirt is like ripped open. Like you're. Yeah. Yeah. I think I didn't realize that at the end they, I guess the whole movie is really about them just escaping. It's not really about them escaping and then fixing the problem. They just kind of, they leave the Island safety and then just kind of leave every one at their own devices, which makes me wonder, like, I know you've explained the plot of 
um, at, uh, most of the, or I guess all of the movies that are out now. And I know that um, the third one, they go back to this island, correct? So, no. The first one is about Isla Nublar. Then the second one is about Isla Sorna, which is a neighboring island. Okay. And um, I don't exactly 100% remember. I think I think they were just using them. I think maybe it was just like a test island. I don't remember exactly how dinosaurs got there, but um, there's some there's some stuff going down on Isla Sorna, and then the third one is also Isla Sorna. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, like in the third movie, T. Leone and William H Macy trick Alan Grant to sort of be there, like to help them to be their guide. And he's like, I've never been to this island. It's a different island. Like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> Spoiler so, alert. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Honestly, I will say, like, there are great parts of all of these movies. Like, I, Bryce Dallas Howard is one of my favorite actresses. And I think she's actually really sort of enjoyable. I like, I know she gets, uh, she runs in heels <laughs> in Jurassic World. And people are like. Uh, that's ridiculous, but it's like, she's like doing it. She gets away. She lives through the damn thing. Yeah. Um, the callbacks in Jurassic world to this movie are the best parts in it. Really? Like, yeah, definitely. It makes me smile seeing these because I remember when I saw Jurassic world, I hadn't gone back and, you know, I still didn't enjoy Jurassic park, you know? So having just recently sort of found a new appreciation for the first movie, feels like it all ties in together a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I as far as this one, I don't know that they had the intention. I I'd be interested to know and I'm going to I will definitely look this up if the intention was to sort of make more. I know Michael Crichton wrote another book, but I don't even know if that was already out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um yeah. but this this sort of feels like a complete story. And I mean it is for most of these characters like barely any of these characters come back in the second movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael Crichton is the guy who wrote the book for the yes, first movie, he, correct? He wrote, yeah. he wrote uh, Jurassic Park and he wrote a book called The Lost World. Um, mm. I think it's called The Lost World, but he wrote basically the, the first two movies. Uh, or but the book's based on the the book that the first two movies are based on. <laughs> Jeez. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of my favorite Steven Spielberg films. I like a lot of them, but I will say that the big spectacle action blockbusters are kind of my favorite. Like I love Ready Player One. Obviously I love Jaws. I love this movie. He's just done a lot of like really exciting, you know, big budget ones. And I think those are where he definitely shines. I'd love to do Jaws for this podcast. That's another classic that I have not seen. Oh man. And you see what's so cool about Jaws is that it had such an impact. Like that was like the first summer blockbuster. So there is definitely a lot of meat there to sort of talk about the influence that, that that film had. But then also just like, there were so much, there were so many on set problems again about the fact that Jaws was an animatronic shark. I don't even yeah. know if I finished my thought because you, you said the autoerotic oh. thing. Jaws oh, was an animatronic shark that like broke. And that's why he's not, he's barely in the movie. And like it sort of adds to the idea that like – or it sort of adds to the suspense of like you don't see the shark or whatever. And it's because he was malfunctioning <laughs> and they couldn't show him but so much. But it, it totally serves – there's a lot of like POV of the shark and oh, I, I think you would I think you would enjoy Jaws to a degree. Everybody – there's been so many shark movies and even so many dinosaur movies. It's, it's sad that – that we've be, there's like a saturation yeah and it just like when people do it the first time and do it so great and someone's not like immediately exposed to it you wind up sort of getting oversaturated really quickly like mm-hmm. jaws does not have the same effect on me as it would have you know before i saw all these other these crazy megalodon you know and the <laughs> uh, like What's the movie where many more goes down underwater and they're like some, some how many meters down like those movies they can they can be a little bit tiresome and you I get you know that I mean? but I've also Jaws would be my first shark movie so I think You've never seen a shark movie? I can't say that I have. No. Sharknado? Oh. No. Oh my god. Well, those aren't even. That's not that's Megalodon. not even. 
The Meg. Oh uh, yeah, Meg. The Meg is what I'm talking about. Yeah. But like, yeah, I think I think we should definitely do Jaws someday. That would be good. I think people would people would like to to talk about that one with us. Uh, y'all should let us know if you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people want to listen to Jaws, send us letters, not emails. Not messages, letters. No, no, please stick with email because I'm I'm not sending out my address. I'll, I'll post his address address online. Oh my god! <laughs> Just the mere thought of like, oh, we're gonna make a movie. Where we're gonna bring dinosaurs back to life. Like that's that's a, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it did round itself out with an amazing cast. I don't know how famous everybody was at the time because I know that this really helped a lot of people's careers, and that's what a lot of people in this movie are you know known for. But Everybody really does a serviceable job. I'm not down on any of them. I think I used to be sort of like annoyed by the kids and now I kind of like them. I think they're... They were fun. I mean, the granddaughter was... Wait. Yeah, they were his grandkids. Yeah, they were John Hammond's grandkids. They felt real. I guess they feel realistic until she's like a, a, a super hacker or something. Yeah. That they they did just kind of throw that random bit in, and I was like, okay, we're gonna see this later. Yeah. Obviously, like, and then the little boy, I feel like I can relate to the little boy. He's just like, I hate this. I hate trees. I'm hot. I want to go home. <laughs> I thought he was. I thought he was really awesome when he was. Uh, what's the word? Fawning. Oh yeah, over Alan. Just like blind adoration when he first met. Yeah, and he's like, I read your book, and <laughs> yeah. I thought that was awesome. He, oh, like, he's the coolest little kid. He follows him, like he gets in the car, and then yeah. Alan gets out, and the kid gets out too, and it's like, oh man, it's like, what car are you riding in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at its core, you know, it's a sweet message of like a guy who's hardened and definitely doesn't want kids, and obviously his girlfriend does, and you can see that maybe he's softened a little bit. Yeah, there's growth. Yes, absolutely. And what sucks is like, I'm not going to spoil what exactly happens, but if you watch the other movies, like there's definitely more to this story that I don't love. I think uh, hearing about these islands, it is intriguing to me. I, I think I will watch the other movies, even if it's just in the background, just to kind of see yeah. what they're about. Okay, like best parts of these other movies. The second one, Julianne Moore is in it, and <gasps> she's everything. Yeah, she's like everything in this world. Um, and Vince Vaughn is in it, who is not like the Vince Vaughn. That's like, Hey, I'm like in terrible comedies or whatever. Like he's (laughs) actually, you know, I mean, he doesn't have like a ginormous role, but he's not terrible. And the third one, obviously William H. Macy and Taylor Leone, um, and the pterodactyls in, (laughs) and that ringtone. Like, I feel like, yeah, yeah. that, That has stuck with me. Like, do you remember the part where it's like, it's a bird cage. That is like so iconic with yeah. me and my sister, you know, Mal, that, that scene used to always get us. Um, and uh, in a good way or like, Oh yeah. wow. Like this. Is oh, awesome. we loved it. Like he's oh, like, yeah. it's a bird cage. You're like, Oh my God, get the hell out of there. <laughs> um, and then obviously the fourth one, Bryce Dallas Howard is in, and I used to be a really big Chris Pratt fan. And, um, second one is also, Bryce Dallas Howard, and I also used to be a really big Chris Pratt fan. So the newer ones are supposed to be a trilogy, correct? Yeah, and the third one will should probably be out by like at least I would say probably like twenty twenty or twenty twenty one. I don't know exactly. Oh wow! Um, All right, and they're both like the the two new ones are both billion dollar movies. Like they oh, were yeah, really successful, and it sort of kind of came out of nowhere. We weren't certain how well it would do, and both of them did well. So. I would like to know exactly how much money this movie made, like inflation and stuff. I'm definitely going to look up like how successful this was. And just even when it comes to like Steven Spielberg's movies, I want to know how well, because I can't imagine that there are too many movies that were more successful than this that he's done, because this is a big deal. I mean, he's the Jurassic Park guy. That and Jaws, I think, are are two that I would... They're iconic. Yeah, he's done... And you know what? Seeing... Ready Player One. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I do. And then, like, I, I remember just, like, being, like, so into it and so excited. And, and that was one where I actually read the book. You <laughs> bought me the book. And, like, yep. I uh, was really – I was really stoked. And, I, I mean, I still do love the movie. But, like, I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I'm, like, maybe – I don't I don't know that this is, like, one of his iconic movies, you know? I don't, th- I don't think it is. I don't think it got the buzz quite, like – his other movies did. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, he hasn't really had a hit like Jurassic Park or Jaws or E.T. 
in a long time. Well, because he does like Lincoln and War Horse and things right. like that, like some of the some smaller. I mean, they're grandiose and are very well received, and and it's epic and uh, Lincoln won Oscars and stuff. But like, but I, I can't think of any that have been as popular as these movies. No, yeah, it's it's hard when you have like a such a such a big career and you <laughs> when you yeah. set the bar so high. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he is Steven Spielberg. He. Like, while he's not my favorite director, like, I understand why people say he is the best director that ever lived. Like, he's got such an ambitious style and an approach to movie making that it just seems like there's nothing, there's nothing too big, but then there's also nothing too small for him to tell. And he's just, he's just very good. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily always feel like, oh, that's a, that's a Steven Spielberg movie. That's a Steven Spielberg movie. Like, mm-hmm. the, like his brand, I feel like, is quality. That's fair. That's that's very well put. And that's that's what is iconic to him. Like Quentin Tarantino is like has trademarks all over his films. So oh, God, like, yeah, yeah. I watched Django earlier today, and I was like, there are so many like iconic Quentin Tarantino bits, but isms, yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg has those, but like I feel like what he's more known for is just. Great storytelling, great action set mm-hmm. pieces, amazing camera work. Oh, he, he did Indiana Jones, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that would I, I would assume that would be another competitor as well. Yeah, like not all of his movies resonate directly with me, but like I don't think I've ever seen one that I didn't at least think like, oh, this is actually a very well made movie. I mean, he directed the second one of these, mm-hmm. and. You know, even even though like the story isn't that great and it, it sort of runs too long, there's like a sort of almost like an epilogue that didn't need to be there. <laughs> it's still masterfully crafted. You know, yeah. he's he's just really talented, and I'm really super pumped that we have finally gotten to a Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> that is spectacular. Yeah, I am surprised it has not happened earlier, but. Um... But we got there. We got there eventually. Well, you know, at first we were like, oh, we're going to do niche movies that we want to do. And we're like, okay, but we also want people to actually like listen to us talk. Like, (laughs) I mean, it'd be cool to have a conversation about any movie that we want to, but we also want people to talk back to us. So Mm. I think a movie like Jurassic Park, in my opinion, that would be a movie that I think would like strike up a conversation. Yeah. Like who the hell doesn't love Jurassic Park? It's, it's certainly a classic. And, and I, I think I'm one of the very, very, very few who like hasn't seen it or remembers, you know? Yeah. And everything about it. Like I totally believe that you, when you say I was shown it as a child or, Oh, I, you know, I feel like I've seen bits and pieces of it, or I kind of remember a little bit of it and stuff, because I feel like before I watched it when I was a teenager, I was like, I don't remember seeing this. And my mom's like, yeah, you've watched it before. <laughs> you just didn't like it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I I've gotten to a point now where I can appreciate the craft. I enjoy the story. I love the acting. It's a fun movie. And I can't wait to talk more about it and do more research. It's going to be really exciting. And I can't wait I forgot about all of the dinosaur jokes. Oh, God. So many jokes. Oh, my God. And none of them will be stolen. There's not, like, more dinosaur jokes in the series. I'm not going to steal them from any of those movies. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm going to steal them from, like, websites. (laughs) Take three. Okay. What is a dinosaur's least favorite reindeer? I changed my mind. I don't want to play this game anymore. Comet. (laughs) That's rough. <laughs> Is it rough? Were you offended because of all the dinosaurs yeah. that died? I am. So I'll save all the rest of the ones that I have for the end of this. So to not compromise the integrity of take three. But so it's more like a like ripping off the bandaid at the end rather than yes, slow and painful. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Thank you, I guess. Not a problem. I'm here doing the Lord's work. (laughs) So first, I'd like to answer a few questions that I raised in takes one and two, as well as provide you all some background on the movie, which honestly is something that I realize should probably be done in take one. So I'm going to note that (laughs) next time. So over the course of five movies, the Jurassic franchise has made nearly $5 billion dollars. And that's unadjusted for inflation. 
For those of you who don't know what I mean by that, just think about how what you could buy with a dollar 20 years ago is much more than what you could now. So if you adjust for inflation, those numbers would be even higher when you think about what it grossed then versus now. The reason they don't do that for worldwide box office numbers is because the inflation rate can vary from country to country. So it gets like kind of muddled. So if you ever see like worldwide numbers, they're normally not like adjusted. It was even more money, uh, but you just kind of take into account that they can't, you know, uh, somebody who gives that information isn't taking into account every single different inflation rate for all the different countries that the movie made money in over all these years. You know, the movie's, what, 26 years old now? So it's been a while. But yeah, the entire franchise has made nearly $5 billion, which is, you know, Wildly successful. It is huge. And I know a lot of that was from merch, right? This is just the grosses of the movies. I'm sure it's been even astronomically more. You think about the theme parks and the merchandise and everything. This is solely the right. film grosses, though. Isn't that crazy? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. The first movie, when released, grossed just over $910 million worldwide, which made it the highest grossing movie ever at that point in 1993. And can you guess what it beat out? I want to say like, uh, see, I should know this. I feel like you've told me this before. I'll just tell you. 1982's E.T. Oh, yeah, okay. Interesting. Another Spielberg. That's interesting. The first movie has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a website that aggregates critic reviews, which is the highest out of any of them in the franchise. The... First film also won three Oscars for sound editing, sound mixing, and visual effects. And what's really cool is last year it got selected to be preserved in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Oh, wow. So it's like... That's that's really cool, actually. ...will be preserved forever, which is really nice. That was interesting. Can you imagine being Steven Spielberg... And having something that is like registered and that will be known for like the rest of history. Yeah. That's insane. Like imagine being Shakespeare and if, if he could be, you know, if he was watching down on us, um, he's dead, right? Shakespeare? That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> no, I mean, like if he were alive today to kind of see the impact that he's had, like imagine that's super cool. I think that's really, yeah. really cool. Imagine being someone who's been able to create something that can last this long. I think that's fascinating. I totally agree. I can't wait until, until take three makes it into the, uh, the library Congress. That would be cool. So I want to talk about the sequels very briefly. Um, I know that's not what this episode is about, but, um, I didn't really watch them in depth. I was kind of doing other things as I was watching them in the background, but they were not as bad as you made me think they were. I was expecting like total trash movies. They weren't that bad. I mean, no. they weren't the best movies I've ever seen, but they were like funny in the same way that the first one was. They were kind of informative. Like I'll go into a little bit later about what I loved about this movie. Um, and I love like the sort of small little scattered scientific facts that they're giving us. And like, it, they were fun, honestly. I, well, I enjoyed them. I'm glad. I think, I think that's, what... that's one that's, Two and three, that's uh, Lost World and Jurassic Park 3. I'm not talking about the newer ones with Chris Pratt. Gotcha. I haven't seen those. I I have not looked at those yet. So I watched like YouTube summaries on all of them and I get the general idea, but like I, I'm not sure I'd ever... Well, no, I take that back because in the first and second of the new install of the Jurassic World movies, um, it seemed like they pulled a lot of stuff from the original movies. They did. And that kind of seems intriguing to me. I don't think that those movies are bad. I think that they're not as good as I remembered them. I used to absolutely think that the third Jurassic Park movie was just like the best and I didn't care about the other ones. And that was the one I I watched and it's like that movie really is not fantastic at all. Like there's a lot of really large plot holes and things that don't necessarily make sense with just locations and things and – and reasoning, I don't think the, that some of the acting is that great. The dinosaurs, the the giant dinosaur, I can't even think of its name, but the one that's supposed to be bigger than the T-Rex, it's supposed to like, the, the T-Rex is going to go and he's going to, and they're fighting. 
that dinosaur is so obviously an animatronic. Like it, it just waves its hands. Like I'm doing it, the, <laughs> it and which you guys can't see me, but it's just like, I mean, it's like a it's store a shop joke. Christmas elf. Yeah. Like <laughs> it, it just looks so fake. Whereas like in this movie, it, you know, the CGI ones, obviously we can tell aren't real, but a lot of work went into making these dinosaurs look really realistic. And, and I just always go back to like, the shots of a T-Rex in the dark when it's like raining at nighttime, like that looks real. Like that looks real to me today. And it's hard because there are movies where technology had gone up into a point where it was like cutting edge then. And they were like, Oh yeah, this looks so great. And it just doesn't hold up now. We've gotten so much farther than that, you know? So any sort of CGI addition looks bad too. So it's, it's hard. Like, Jurassic Park 3 was really sort of a letdown to me once I watched it again, realizing, oh, wait, this isn't as good. Jurassic Park 2, I think, is just too, too, too long. And the <laughs> the little girl being able to kick a velociraptor because she's a gymnast and she <laughs> – I mean, like a lot of people got upset that they are able to tame the velociraptors later on in, in, in the Jurassic world. Like that's – like Chris yeah. Pratt's sort of link to the whole island is this one velociraptor named Blue and Blue, yeah, yeah. So he's their alpha, and people, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> like that didn't bother me as much as like this little girl being able to take one out. Like this little tiny girl can do a gymnastics like twirl, and I don't even know, like a like a flip on a a beam or whatever and kick a velociraptor out of a window. Like that's not, it just, some of it just came off really cheesy to me. And this, this first movie doesn't have stuff like that. in it, in my opinion, it does though. It does though, because what is so cheesy hacker girl. Okay. Okay. Mainframe. It does like it does. And that's, I think that's what I was saying. Like this, the first movie is kind of silly and, and, um, it's very, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and I feel like the second and third movies, they still have elements of the first and I think they're, they're all pretty similar. Do I think that this, the second, the the second and third are fantastic? No, I definitely like the first one best, but I mean, like they were still fun. They were still fun. What I, I, I will admit that, um, uh, what was his name? Dr. Ian, Ian Malcolm, yeah, Ma- Dr. Malcolm. He took a much, much, much bigger role in the second movie, and he lost all of his charm. Like in the first one, he was kind of this like mysterious, kind of uh, quippy, kind of darker, yeah. funny guy. But in this one, he's so flat and so like straight, kind of one line. And I did not like that at all. They completely bastardized his character. That's funny that you brought that up. It it comes up in a point that I plan on bringing up a little bit later, but I guess I could do it now if you're if you're done because I think it sort of informs your point. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So something else that I believe that I brought up, it might have gotten cut out at this point. I don't know, but uh, I do believe that I brought it up is the relation between the release dates of each film and each novel. Like I didn't know if the success of the movie was prompting Michael Crichton to write this second novel or if he had already written one and they were like, you know, I didn't know how that all worked. After some research, I was able to lay it out there and I have it broken down. So I'm going to go through them. Okay. Okay. So in 1983, Michael Crichton started writing a screenplay about a grad student who recreates a dinosaur. Over the next seven years, the idea evolved into a story about an amusement park where the main attraction would be clone dinosaurs. The novel was called Jurassic Park and became a wildly beloved bestseller. In 1993, Steven Spielberg and Universal adapted it into the first Jurassic Park movie. Now, after the success of both the book and the film, fans as well as the studio were calling for a sequel to Crichton's book. He'd never written a sequel for any of his books before, and he didn't plan on it. But after prodding, and I'm sure the offer of a ton of money from both the publisher and the film studio, he started writing. In 1995, the novel The Lost World was released. The book was still a bestseller, but not nearly as well-received. That sounds familiar. That you know, The movie wasn't nearly <laughs> as well-received either. Now, this is sort of spoilery for the books. So if 
you, Jordan, or if you listeners were going to read these books. It's not too spoilery, and I will I say that because it's sort of undone, and that's why the point is. But here's here's what it is. If if you're worried about having the first Jurassic Park book, a book that was written decades ago, spoiled for you, I guess close your ears for just a few seconds. Ian Malcolm dies in the first book. Oh wow, okay. Yes, and he is brought back. They they explain in a way that he does not die in the second one. And the reason that Michael Crichton gave was that he pretty much could do without the rest of the characters. But he had to have Ian Malcolm because he was the only one that was like questioning what was going on. And he was the only one yeah. that was uh, a a suitable sort of character to follow deeper into this story. He hadn't accepted it still. And I was like, oh, that's really fascinating. That is kind of crazy. That's wild. I always sort of thought it was weird that like he's not the main character in the first one, but he really he's is the main character definitely in the, the second main one. character. Yeah, yeah. In the second one, yeah. And I realize that this is all about the first movie. I know that we kind of went off on a tangent. I, I would recommend going and seeing the second and the third in the first trilogy. I don't care much for the newest ones. I'll let you recommend that if you want to. I think they're all fun. If the idea of like seeing dinosaurs that look remotely real and, you know, a fun adventure blockbustery type of movie excites you, go see all five of them. But none of them are terrible. <laughs> And the two that are the ones that you're not advertising have Bryce Dallas Howard in them. So go see them. Yeah. But yeah. I love her so much. She is so <laughs> I do too. freaking perfect. No, I do too. Um, so some of the themes that I explored in this movie, the first was pride. There's a lot of pride in this in this movie and sort of the dangers of pride uh, specifically with dr hammond and how like oh money's no object i have this great idea we're going to plan it out throwing caution to the wind like this is going to work regardless and how that can be dangerous obviously as we as we see and uh i found this video i'm not going to explain the whole thing but i would highly 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 recommend you watch it. It's like a half hour long. If you speed it up, it's less, but um, it's it's very informative and it, it really takes every single bit of this movie and really analyzes it in a really kind of mind-blowing way. I'll leave the link in the, uh, in the notes um, so you can all check it out um, and I'll show it to you later. I don't think you've seen it. Maybe you have, I don't know. But basically he is explaining how uh, Dr. Hammond and Dr. Malcolm, I kind of they butt heads like the whole movie. They're really not friends. And um, with uh, Dr. Hammond's sort of ego and this whole money's not an object pride thing, they're sort of playing God and the devil. Um, Dr. Hammond being God, obviously, kind of like creating these beings um, into existence and Dr. Malcolm kind of being there every step of the way to, to kind of be like, uh, no, you know, the nature of chaos is... <laughs> Where this probably is not the best idea kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But basically he was saying how this movie is pretty much completely showing us a very human story in a very exotic way. Um, I think the point of the story was not about dinosaurs. It was about, you know, humans. It was about human nature and two ordinary people raising a family. One of the things he points out is that uh, this the first movie is so kind of pure compared to these reboots and how how the movie industry is changing. He comments that there's this very human story happening in a world full of dinosaurs and not the other way around in these Jurassic World movies where it's like it's Hollywood and they're trying to pack as many dinosaurs into the movie as possible. And I actually found in a separate source to this, to back this up, apparently there's only 15 minutes of dinosaurs in this first movie. And I think like six of them were CGI and the rest were were animatronic, which I thought was very interesting. But really, the heart of this story is um, the main character, Grant. I don't is he a doc? Would it be Dr. Grant? Alan Grant. Yeah, Dr. Alan Grant. Yeah, Alan Grant. It's this, it's his like struggle to accept his desire for children and a family. And if you yeah. watch the movie in that way, it's kind of a different experience. I think that's, I thought that was really, really interesting. And it is really a great point. Um, so I watched a video too. I mean, I watched several, but like this is one particularly that I think has some merit to it. And I'll, I'll include a link as well. It's from a YouTube channel called Lessons from the Screenplay. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. This particular video is called Using Theme to Craft Character. 
this gentleman lays it out so much better than I am. I'm just trying to paraphrase and, and bring this up and to just have this conversation with you and with you guys. But again, this is not, you know, something that I am sort of assessing. This is, this is all him uh, lessons from the screenplay. And it's a beautiful, beautiful YouTube channel that does really in-depth analysis on a lot of different movies. This particular video describes Alan Grant and John Hammond as like sort of opposites one rejecting technology in the future, even to the point where he doesn't like kids, which are sort of like, you know, the most literal representation of the future, and the other pushing forward toward the future at all costs with little care to how dangerous it might be, you know, like with the the spared no expense line yeah, being his like favorite thing to say. Then he discusses how both of their character storylines are informed by these ideas throughout the entire film. John Hammond is carelessly optimistic, thinking he's in control of these dinosaurs. Well, guess what? The power's on your island, and the dinos are running free. And Alan's completely adverse to children, and, well, he's put in a situation where he's got to try to save these two children from everything around him, from this island. Mm. And Malcolm and Ellie's purposes in the film seem to be to test the ideals and beliefs of these two characters as well. I mean, they're like every conversation had in this film on this island informs or challenges one of these two character arcs. It's really cool. It not only informs the themes of their characters, it allows by the end of it for you to see like, oh, wow, these characters have actually shown growth, you know? Yeah. Another thing I'll bring up is just talking a little bit about like the, the production process of this film. It's pretty interesting. So the filming took place in a few different places. Montana served as the site for the archaeological dig at the beginning. They got a lot of exteriors in the Dominican Republic, a lot of interior shots, and the stuff with the velociraptors in the kitchen was all set on sets in California. Didn't they film a lot in Hawaii too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire reason why I brought this up is because in 1992, from late August to mid-September, the crew shot in Hawaii. It served as a location for a lot of the tropical-looking shots on this island. However, on September 11th of that year, a hurricane hit. Hurricane Iniki uh, hit the island of... I'm not... Okay, so every everywhere I looked... I spent probably like 15 minutes trying to figure out how to pronounce this. K-A-U-A apostrophe I. Like, I've heard people... Every, every YouTube video or every sort of article that, like, definitively answered this, all the comments were like, that's wrong, that's wrong. And I'm like, okay. So, but the island, that island, K-A-U-A apostrophe I, was hit on September 11th of 1992. A lot of the storm footage from the film is actually real storm footage from this hurricane, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you think it was a bit odd for Samuel L. Jackson to die so unceremoniously off screen? I mean, albeit not a tenth as famous as he is now, he was decently famous at the time, having just had his breakout role in Spike Lee's Jungle Fever in 1991. Doesn't that seem kind of odd? Yeah. It did to me as well. (laughs) Was he getting the hell out of Dodge? (laughs) No. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) I wish... I totally wish that is why. This is actually kind of sad, though. Apparently, a lengthy chase scene with the raptors was planned for him, but Hurricane Iniki destroyed the set for it. Oh, no. Yeah, so they just killed him off off screen. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. I read something similar. I read uh, an article about that hurricane. I don't know if this is true, but it said something about how uh, Laura Dern and uh, Alan Grant... Sam Neill. I'm kind of switching their, yeah, how they both kind of like feared for their lives because of this hurt. Like it was a big deal, this hurt. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of like, it kind of caught people off guard. But yeah. And I think I even read somewhere that uh, rain was a huge deal because it, it kind of interfered with the animatronics. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they kind of messed up a bunch of them. Like even with the T-Rex, it kind of like made it go on the fritz and go off at random times, which scared some of the crew and. I thought that was really interesting. Some of the materials that they were made of absorbed water 
And mm-hmm. obviously they, you know, really hadn't planned for it to be, I guess, you know, in, in conditions like that at least. So it was absorbing a lot of water and it was weighing it down and that was making a malfunction. So if I were Steven Spielberg, I would be reluctant to work on movies with animatronics because he <laughs> has had a really tough time several times. I mean, it, it always works out. The movies are always good, but yeah. I just have a few like small interesting trivia facts that I found out. So when the the T-Rex is attacking the kids in the van and it kind of busts through that that glass ceiling, apparently that wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't supposed to completely break it. So the kids' reactions were probably pretty genuine, which I thought was very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you remember when Laura Dern was digging through the the feces trying to find the berries or the berry yeah. seeds, I guess? With the triceratops. Yeah, that really wasn't resolved. Uh, And I found that there's a logical reason why the Triceratops was sick, but she couldn't find anything in its poop. The article that I read said that it was probably clearer in the book. It was laid out better in the book. But apparently this dinosaur, this type of dinosaur, didn't have the proper teeth for grinding food. So what they would do, much like birds do, some birds do this, which again, there's a common theme of like, you know, dinosaurs or birds come from dinosaurs and birds. Anyway, you know, to assist in grinding their food, what they would do is they would swallow rocks and these rocks would kind of help break up the food and sort of aided in their digestion. But over time, these rocks would kind of become smooth, like just from being ground, they would become smooth and they really didn't do much good. So the dinosaurs would regurgitate them out. And that's why there was never any lilac berries in the poop, because it was probably regurgitated in somewhere in the puke out the other end. Ah. I thought that was fascinating. And the part when, you know, there's this theme in this movie about, you know, life finds a way. Uh, there was something that I saw that uh, when Grant found a way to tie a seatbelt when it wasn't working. Yeah. Kind of like, oh, well, he I, that was sort of like a foreshadowing kind of point. I thought that was cool. And then last but not least, Jim Carrey was on the short list of actors to play Ian Malcolm. And what I heard a difference about that. that would have made. Yeah. yeah. Could you imagine if Jim Carrey played Jeff Goldblum's character? I've seen Jim Carrey play like serious roles, but I don't know. I think, yeah, like I'm so cool with Jeff Goldblum being it. I love Jeff Goldblum's demeanor. And I think so many of the Jeff Goldblum isms that we've come to just love and appreciate him for come out of this movie. So like, yeah, yeah, there are enough Jim Carrey performances that I enjoy and will stay with me that I'm cool that Jeff Goldblum got this one. No, no, of course. And I just think it's kind of thinking about the dynamic is interesting. How, how the dynamic of this movie would have changed if it was Jim Carrey. Yeah. Um, I actually, I saw a, an interview with Jeff Goldblum and he was talking about the shirtless scene that he does when he's just kind of sitting there on the table shirtless. And he was trying to explain like the events of that day. And that man, <laughs> he's just, I just feel like he's just kind of bopping around doing his own thing. Yeah. Like, constantly. He had no idea what was going on. He's like, Oh, I don't, I don't really know what happened. Maybe we were this part. Maybe they, we were over here. Maybe we were over there. I don't know. Maybe it was him <laughs> who said it. Maybe it was me. And I was like, dude, I wish that I could just be as carefree as you. He just yeah. like the coolest guy. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's great in everything I've ever seen him do. So I have one, two, three, four. I have, I just have five. I have five. I could have, I could have, listed like a hundred of them, but I didn't want to make this episode too, too long or drive you too, too crazy. But I don't know if I said this in the, in the beginning or not, but I did try to look some up, but none passed the test. They were just too bad. So, and I have much lower standards. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, and go, why can't you hear a pterodactyl using the bathroom? Why? Because the P is silent. What do you call a dinosaur with an extensive vocabulary? What? A thesaurus. You're killing it. <laughs> what dinosaur could jump higher than a house? What? All of them. Houses can't even jump. <laughs> what is the best way to talk to a velociraptor? What? On the phone. Because like he won't get you. You know what I mean? Because like, you're far away. And... The final, like the piece de resistance. Why would you never want to fight a dinosaur? 
Why? Because you'd get your ass kicked. Oh my god. Ah. I hope you all are better because of this segment. <laughs> These are the five best dinosaur jokes that I could find. Please share your best dinosaur jokes with us. Do that. Maybe you'll come up with some better ones than those. You're going to get your ass kicked. So we're going to play a game that we haven't played in a very long time. I feel like we've done how many episodes and have not done a game. It's been a while. Yeah, because I'm thinking, okay, we didn't do one for Hereditary. I know that... 10 Cloverfield Lane was like astronomically long, so we couldn't do one then. Yeah, so it, it has at least been a couple episodes. Well, we're doing one now, so. Basically, we're going to do a top five, but in honor of not only this episode being Jurassic Park and based on a book, but also with the release. I guess when this episode airs, it'll be Friday, and that is the day that Pet Cemetery comes out, which is a Stephen King adaptation, one of our favorite authors, a, a movie based on his book, Pet Cemetery. And so we are going to recount our top five favorite book adaptations, book to movie, basically. And there's two caveats. The first one is that none of these are going to be comic books, not because we don't view them as books, but because, at least for me, four out of five of my list would be... <laughs> Uh, would be comic yeah. book movies. And the second one is we don't have to have read the book. We just know, need to know that it is an adaptation, more or less because this is still about the movie and not about you know whether, whether or not it's a, a good adaptation or a faithful adaptation or that it matters or if the book's better or any of that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go first? You go first. I'll go first. But my number five was Matilda. Oh, cool. You I know, I forgot that that's a book. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it is. That's really great. I'm that pretty is a positive great movie. I, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty positive I read that book when I was younger too. And that's one of those ones that I would love to just watch, rewatch again. I don't know mm -hmm. if we, you know, need to make it an episode of the show, but I, I really <laughs> do I remember loving that movie a lot. So that's good. Yep. I quote it all the time. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You can do it, Bruce. It's a big part of my vocabulary. I feel like I say much too good for children like all the time as well. I, I just adore that movie. I think it's adorable. I think it's cute. But I really like uh, Rhea Pelman and Danny DeVito in that movie. They're really good. Oh, hell yes. Oh, so good. There, it's just a great movie all around. You're like you love to hate them for sure. Yes, yes. And okay. whoever plays the Trunchbull did a phenomenal job. So, Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, what's, yeah. Or what's your number five? So my number five is Silence of the Lambs. Oh, good one. I actually had the um, opportunity to watch it with younger people uh, recently who'd never seen it. And they were just like, what in the world? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> it's like iconic and it has some of the greatest performances that have ever been put to film. And they're iconic characters. So I, I really love that movie a whole lot. All right, what's your number four? My number four is World War Z. Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that is a book. <laughs> Why do I keep forgetting that these are books? I've not read this book. And I'll say I'm a big reader, and I think it's kind of um, a detriment because I'm one of those people who has to read the book before I see the movie. And that's because if I see the movie first, I'll never read the book, and I'm not sure I'll ever read this book. But World War Z is one of the most stressful but beautiful and clever movies I think I've ever seen. It is it is one of my favorite movies for sure. I really am not a fan of zombie movies except for just a few, <laughs> and that is one of them. I had to really pull teeth to get you to see that movie yeah. because I knew your history with zombie movies. I was like, just just give this one a chance. It's really different and clever and awesome, and I'm glad that you loved it. And I, I don't know. I like as far as it being a book. I've never read the book either. I can't imagine that it's as good. Like I know, like some of the things that that are so magnificent about the movie are like the tension and obviously like the set designs and the designs of the creatures and obviously Brad Pitt's performance. I was going to say, and the performances in yeah. it are top notch. Yeah, yeah. they're so really, I, really good. I can't imagine it being better than the movie, but maybe. Maybe I'll audiobook it one day, and I'll get back to you. We'll see. That's actually a great idea. What's your number four? The Martian. Andy Weir's good one. The Martian. That's a good one. Yeah. That movie, I remember when I saw that movie, I was like, oh my God, this is my favorite movie of the year. Until the whatever Star Wars came out that year, I think beat it. But it's directed by one of my absolute favorite directors, Ridley Scott. I think it was a, a true return to form with him because he had had like a, 
had a had a dry patch of movies that people were just not vibing with that were not great and he came back and he just killed it it was a wonderful ensemble piece but it also felt very much like it was matt damon's movie and he, mm-hmm. you know he was obviously forced to carry a lot of it on his back by himself um it, it's and poop potatoes what's not to love about poop potatoes <laughs> So this is kind of weird because this is actually my second favorite movie of all time, but it's on, it's number three on the list. And I'll explain why once you see my number two, but, and I think this is on your list too, but, um, it, I cannot tell you how much I love. I saw it in theaters, I think five times. I think that was my total. I'm so obsessed with seeing number two. I like, I can't wait. Yeah. Cannot wait. I'm like, it's going to be amazing. I'm, oh. I'm so ready. It is also my number three. Is it? Uh, yeah. Funny. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those movies where we have both read the book. Uh, mm-hmm. It is, it is so much better than the book in my opinion. I see. I disagree. I think, I think they're both great on their own. And I think the movie is a great, great adaptation of it. I think, I think it's a fair adaptation of it. The reasons why I think that this movie is better than the book is because it doesn't have the latter half of the book. Oh. The latter <laughs> half of the book is the part that I'm not like super thrilled about that. I think it's kind of like ridiculous. Kind of like I was it smoking is. while I wrote this and I'm very hopeful. I'm trying to be optimistic, but it's, they've got to cover it. So it's like, I have faith in, in the director. I loved all of his movies. Yeah, Andy Muschietti is yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I'm gonna say my number two because I feel like your number one will probably be better than mine. My number two, and no one laugh at this, the Cat in the Hat. I was so about to put that. <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie too. This is this is I kid you not and he he Nick is someone who can attest to this. I can quote that movie from beginning to end. I adore that movie so much. I think it is so funny and so underrated. It is such a funny movie. Yeah, it is it's it's I don't understand why people hate it so bad. Like it I was know. so poorly received that Dr. Seuss's widow took the rights to make uh, movies away from whichever company it was. Like they weren't allowed to make movies of his stories for a while. Like I that's crazy. That. Cause it is, it is like a bastardization of the story and like they kind of took it in sort of like a maybe slightly inappropriate direction, but I love this movie and I think it should be remembered like Shrek is remembered where it's just this sort of like crazy, ridiculous universe, but is so outrageously funny I don't know. I just, I adore this movie so much. I am yeah. When you said, "Oh, I think one of these is gonna make you laugh," that sort of slipped into my head. I was like, maybe he did that because I thought about <laughs> doing that for sure. I did that. I went there, and I am I am not turning back. That is my number two. <laughs> my number two is my favorite Stephen King adaptation by far. It's Dolores Claiborne. Dolores Claiborne. And I have yeah. read this book. I think it gets slipped on because. Misery was so great, and it's you know yeah, Stephen King yeah. and and Kathy Bates, and Kathy Bates, yeah, um, yeah. But this movie is, in my opinion, better. I just absolutely love it. I love the the mystery. I love the going back and forth in time, um, and the way it ends you, is so impactful. It makes me cry. Yeah, I think um, I don't want to say you forced me to watch this, but you definitely encouraged me to watch this. <laughs> yeah, I like held a gun to your head. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I enjoyed it too. I, so I think. Great. I mean, I know I just said that I wouldn't do this, but this is something that I I've, I've seen the movie, but I would probably go back and and read the book. Probably maybe just because it's Stephen King and I I love him, but I would definitely recommend it. And then we should watch the movie again. Okay, yes. what is your number one? <laughs> My number one. Um, I don't know how popular this movie is. You know what it is. It's my favorite movie of all time. Um, <laughs> it's Annihilation. It is a movie that I want to do for the podcast. It is a movie that I think honestly has done something I've never seen. I, I feel like I talk about this movie all the time. I can't say enough about this movie. It's so, so good. And it's it's. I've read the book. I read the book first. And it is absolutely not faithful to the book at all. And I am 100% okay with that because I think it took like the general idea of the book and ran in a completely different direction and did such a good job in the process. There's really no conclusion, which I think is amazing. And to anyone who's familiar with the movie, it's the end scene that just, oh my God, just uh, blows my mind every single time. 
Well, you're talking in about the, the music. lighthouse oh scene, not like the very last scene, but the one in the lighthouse, right? Yeah, in yeah, yeah, when she's yeah. in the lighthouse. Um, that and the and, fact that it's it's five women, like five. There are five, like the, yeah. the five main characters are girls. Like that's pretty dope, and they're yes. like badasses. Yeah, I can't say enough good about that movie. And what is uh, what's your number one? So. When I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, where should I start? And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just start in my top favorite movies. Maybe some of these are book adaptations. My fourth favorite movie of all time, and I guess that makes it my favorite book adaptation, is The Help. It's the best ensemble cast ever. I've yes. watched that movie. I've, I've watched it twice in a row before, and it's long. It's like two and a half hours long. I will probably watch it tonight now that I'm like, thinking <laughs> about it. I just – it's perfect. There's nothing, nothing more to say than it's perfect. That's why it's my favorite. Good deal. Yeah, That's so a good list. I'm, Solid I'm list. happy with it. I'm happy with mine. I'm happy with yours. I want to hear y'all's. Like, please tell us your favorite book two movie adaptations. I'm always afraid I'm going to say that backwards, but yeah, tell us your favorite book, book two movie. movie. Yeah. Even if you don't have like a top five, just tell us your favorites. Like, we don't care. We just want to. Uh, discuss these things with you guys because definitely send us an email write a comment on our instagram if you put it in a review on itunes we very well might bring it up in the next episode so feel free to do that as well yeah and um you'll be our best friend yeah we'd love you for that not that you aren't already but you know some of these people i don't like Hello, beautiful listeners. This podcast is produced and edited by Nicholas Crawford and Jordan Sato. And if you want to stay updated with the latest news and episodes, please follow us on any major social media site at Take3AMP. You can also visit our website and listen to all our previous episodes at Take3AMP.com. That's Take, the number 3, AMP.com. For any questions, comments, or just general chat, you can email us at Take3AMP at gmail.com. And please do, we'd love to answer them on the show. Please feel free to leave us a rating or review on iTunes not only does it let us know how we're doing but it helps us reach more listeners and movie lovers until next time happy listening why couldn't the t-rex reach his dinner because he's dead you fucking dumbasses. <laughs>